Kate Takwaye now presents Red Skies Falling from the Skybound Saga by Alex London. Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we read the second book in the Skybound trilogy by Alex London. The first book was Black Wings Beating, and we just finished the second book, which is called Red Skies Falling. I hadn't thought about the title until you just <laughs> said it again. And I'm trying, I guess at the very, very end of this book is the only time they really reference the sky turning red, right? Yeah, and at the end of this book, too, they mentioned Black Wings beating as well. I think that, like, phrase was in there. That's true. Although I do feel like in the first book when she's with the owl mothers and Kylie, like, calls all the birds or all the owls up or, you know, surprise me or whatever she, like, shouted in the hollow tongue, mm-hmm. that at least image fit for me with Black Wings beating, too. I love the names. I think the names are great. Yeah. I also, I actually really like the cover too, like the Mm -hmm. way you, or I don't know if yours looks the same as mine, but you have like the castle, I think. The sky castle, yeah. yeah. And then you see the kite people and the arrows and the birds all kind of coming up, like just the way it mixes the like two different scenes with the black silhouettes and stuff. It's beautiful. It really is beautiful. Agreed. And I still love how we have in this second book sections of chapters divided up that alternates between the perspectives of Bryson and Kylie. Again, I've never seen that before and I just think it's so effective and just really clever. Mm -hmm. I think the book is like really well structured. And this time, I think last time I said at the beginning I had trouble with those final chapters in each section that were a different perspective. I don't know if it was just because I was more prepared this time or what, but it didn't bother me at all and I really did feel like it added to the story to have these kind of one-off third perspectives besides our two main protagonists (laughs) no I agree um okay let's talk about our two main protagonists because we had some changes uh with Kylie and Bryson in this book mainly location (laughs) yeah I loved it though I felt like you could almost read this book without having read the first one obviously I'm glad we read the first one but it was almost like good enough as a standalone and I thought they did enough character development like obviously it helped to know more of their backstory and I Mm -hmm. wouldn't suggest starting here but it didn't feel too in the middle to me it felt like it stood on its own merit a lot yeah it was its own story and I think something that helped was we had a change of scene yep Uh, so or scenery rather so we have Kylie who is now in the sky castle and she's training with Uku the owl mother and her partner reluctant partner Grazim (laughs) and I think just that switch of space and like in the first book I was so curious to see the sky castle I was like I really wanted to go there so I was excited that um we got to see parts of that and then Bryson was back in the six villages uh so I think having that space between the two main characters helped because it made it very clear who was talking just by the proximity of where they were Yeah, they weren't both describing the same Mm -hmm. scenes because they weren't together. I agree. And it also, I mean, I love when the world gets bigger and the politics get more complicated. And I feel like that was 
easier to do when you have these two characters in these two different parts of the world. Especially, to your point, seeing the Sky Castle and seeing, like, the Kurgs and some of these different, like, again, Mm -hmm. power plays, even outside of the falconry part. Like, I love how the head of the Kurg group, I forgot what her name was. Bardu. Bardu doesn't even have, like, falconry. Like, she doesn't even need a bird, and she's still, like, somehow made it to the top and that makes her like I I really liked her I was very curious about her I'm curious about her too she wasn't my favorite new person that we met I think I think my favorite person that we we didn't really meet her we met her in the last book but I really liked Grazim I thought she was such an interesting character because we learned that she actually is Altari and we know that the Altari has the hollow tongue yeah Mm -hmm. they um worship the birds and they think that it's blasphemy to try and tame them and so she is kind of breaking from that because she speaks the hollow tongue and i like how everyone in the sky castle has something like at their core that drives them and we learned that like kylie's is rage and uku's is control and graziam's is ambition and so she her -hmm. whole thing is she wants to be the first altari who commands birds for the Sky Castle, um, and she hopes one day to even be on the council and, and be elevated to a Kurg. And she just is doing that to like elevate her people. And, and I love how, I love this. I love when Kylie said, like, well, that's never been done before. Like, you'd be the first Altari. And she was like, I don't really care much about what my people haven't done. Like, I want to be the one to, to be the first person to to achieve that. And I just like I liked that where she was like, I don't care what we haven't done. I'm just looking forward to what we can do and what we will do one day. I agree. And her character development and relationship development with Kylie throughout this book is so well paced. And just to your point, at least in the last book and at the beginning of this book, she's kind of the enemy. We don't trust she, her. We don't really like care that strongly about her, but she's definitely like an opposing force. Yeah. They're kind of competing. There's nothing, no love there or anything. And you do see them come together throughout the course of this book and start to understand each other and understand, yeah, like you said, this really kind of hard background that she had because her parents Mm -hmm. punished her and were ashamed of her because of her gift, which they thought was a curse. And even when she uses it to save their lives or like to defend her father and stuff, it's just like, that's gotta be so hard. And then knowing Kylie has such a complicated relationship with her parents. Yeah, it was interesting to see like the ways that they were similar and how it kind of brought them together. And I loved that it happened with a character where there wasn't a love interest. Cause I feel like, like I love the enemies to lovers trope, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but this was enemies to friends. And I almost liked that more because like, there wasn't a romantic interest. It was just two people who started out hating each other and then ended up being friends and partners and... And allies. Yeah, yeah. and I just mm-hmm. really liked that it was between two women who weren't romantically involved. It was just, um, like, pure friendship. Or romantically competing. Yep. Like, their competition was about their skill, not about a guy. Yep, a man. Yeah, and speaking of a man, we did get a kind of a love interest. Uh, Raven? yeah. Not even a love interest, but uh, uh, he's kind of our pirate prince still. I mean, like, not quite as good as that, but, like, probably the closest thing we've seen in this book so far. That's a good way to describe <laughs> him. Um, he's definitely kind of, like, a lovable rogue, but I would even, I don't know if I would call him lovable because... He's, like, yeah. manipulative, and but charming. He tricks of, her. But, like, not in a good way. No, and I actually, like, really liked that twist because... 
we hear about Raven, and he and he was actually at the very beginning of the book. Um, we see him, an attempted assassination. He's someone's trying to kill him, and we don't know why. Yeah, um, and they're trying to prevent him from being elevated to the council. And then we learn that he actually speaks the hollow tongue, and nobody knows it, or so we think. And he basically says to Kylie, "I'll teach you secrets that Uku won't teach." And we'll use romance as a ruse, and I'll teach you all about the ghost eagle, and I'm basically going to, we're going to deceive Uku together. And then we learn he was lying the whole time. Yes, but what I like most about him is he's kind of upfront about the, like, everyone knows they can't trust him. He basically says, you can't trust me. (laughs) We kind of know he's out for himself. Yeah, the eagle only obeys him when he's deceiving someone. Yeah, but I, I love that that's like, I'm not like yelling at Kylie in my head where I'm like, don't mm-hmm. trust him. She's she like knows not to trust him. So that yeah. like somehow makes it easier to swallow or something and makes it more fun, I think. Totally. And like I just liked the twist because it was clever and it made the book more complex because eventually he, he basically told Kylie like, I know you're not you're not driven by taking care of your brother. Like you're driven by rage and revenge and and she was like oh yeah you're right and so I love that he was like like you have this defiance in Mm -hmm. you and we needed to give you someone to defy so we just picked Uku and actually we're all on the same side and she was in on it the whole time (laughs) Mm -hmm. I just kind of like and then it is kind of funny because it's like they knew how she would react and then they set her up to turn on them on accident (laughs) that's true yeah because then they're like okay we're gonna take down the Kurgs the whole council should be people who speak the hollow tongue. Like, we're going to seize power. And she's like, no, I don't think so because you killed my friend, Vivian. Yep. And so I, I really didn't know who she was going to side with at that point, though, because I could have seen it going both ways. I could have seen her, Kylie just saying, like, yes, I want control. We're going to take over the Kurgs and I'm going to ally myself with Raven and, and Uku. And then I think it was partially... Grazim, who was like, no, I'm allying myself with the Kurg, and you shouldn't trust these people either. I totally thought she was going to turn on everybody. I actually thought she wasn't going to pick a side or like <laughs> end up in the dungeon or something. But but yeah, she uh, she stuck with her first commitment, I guess you could say. And then she goes to war. So she does, like that's kind of the the final <laughs> the catalyst for them actually taking off and heading back to fight off the the Kartani. Um, yeah, and the rest of, the, of her part of the book is really heading out there, strategizing, bonding with Grazim, and trying to save her brother. Yeah, I think the other thing is, man, I'm like really worried for Kylie actually, <laughs> because she has this rage in her, and she's so infuriated with people trying to control her and she just came from the sky castle where basically everyone was trying to use her even you know even though she sided with bardu bardu has niall her other friend in prison and she's like well you kind of have to do this or your friend will suffer so she is just constantly being controlled and manipulated and Mm -hmm. the whole time she's very concerned about controlling the ghost eagle because she's not sure She's worried about hurting the people she loves by saying the wrong thing. And I feel like what she really should be concerned about is how angry she is and how terrifying it makes her. Like when she gets into the Kartami prison and she kills Mm -hmm. Morgan 
with her bare yeah. hands. Like, she didn't even call the ghost eagle. Like, she killed her with her bare hands just because she thought she lied to her. Like, when that moment happened, I was like, oh, Kylie is not okay. <laughs> yeah. No, she doesn't know how to deal with her anger in a healthy way, and it is consuming mm-hmm. her, basically. And then especially when we know, I mean, and she was afraid of this to some extent, but now we're definitely seeing it, which is giving into that emotion too much, especially while talking mm-hmm. the hollow tongue to the to the ghost eagle, like that can get out of control really fast. Yeah. And I mean, she has so many moments too, where it could go really badly. Like, I think it was she and Grezim were traveling with, with, with the Kurgs and there's uh, an Altari group of fugitives who are being attacked and and they won't let them intervene and they're like no we're not stopping and they do it anyway and kylie like sends the commander's eagle Mm -hmm. at him and like attacks on accident yeah on accident and she like can't call him off and finally grazim has to and i think it's kind of like she's she's losing control even though other people want to control her she is definitely like not in control of herself so when we left off Niall too, he had just escaped jail and found everyone else who was tied up, which were all of our bad guys from before, basically. <laughs> um, and he was deciding who who to free or how to negotiate with people. Do you think now that Kylie has sort of lost, do you think she'll, she'll be more inclined to not necessarily trust, but work with Uku and or Raven to better understand how to use the hollow tongue? Or do you think that tie is severed completely i think she's going to band together with whoever she can at this point because (laughs) this is the other big thing at the end of this book the new enemy is the ghost eagle yeah so i think that she's gonna have to band together with everyone to defeat the ghost eagle or at least convince the ghost eagle not to annihilate everyone which is what it wants to do now (laughs) Yeah, why don't we let's switch over to Bryson for a little bit okay. and then come back to the end because okay. I have a lot of thoughts and questions about the end okay. that I wanted to ask you, but I feel like we should address Bryson's yes. point of view first. Of course. So he gets left behind. He is hanging out at home. He still has these like trying to prove himself, wants to be a hero, doesn't think things through, motivated by emotion kind of stuff going on, right? Mm-hmm. He's bonding with Joan, who is losing his impenetrable magic powers from the birch sap. And the idea kind of mm-hmm. gets planted by Joanne's mom, who is the Tamir head now that what's-his-name's gone. And right. she basically suggests or makes a deal with him to kill the leader of the Kartami. And this, like, totally fits into his, like, delusions of grandeur that he imagines mm-hmm. for himself a little bit. So he thinks this is a great idea to go and, even though he's never killed anyone, he doesn't really have a plan. He doesn't have a violent nature. All of his friends are saying, yeah. (laughs) All of his friends are like, don't do this. But he's like, no, I'm going to save the day by killing the head of this army that's like literally destroying, literally like killing off everyone he's encountered in the desert. But this is a Mm -hmm. good plan. Because he also knows that they're looking for him because they've tried to kidnap him but not kill him. So he feels a little bit safe in that as well. And it's so sad because Joan the whole time is like trying to tell him, like, you're not a killer. Like your purpose is not to create death. Your purpose is to heal. Like being good and being kind is enough. You don't have to prove yourself any other way. And we 
kind of see glimpses of that where Bryson's true nature as a healer comes through because mm-hmm. in the first attack, they set fire essentially to his house, which we know he's already been traumatized by fire before. And he is trying to shield uh, his bird, Shara, but he yep. can't. Who had just come yeah, back. Yeah, but he's mm-hmm. so traumatized by the fire, he can't save her, and she dies. And then he calls her back to life using the hollow tongue. And that was like the first indication where it's like, no, 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 you're not, you're not meant to be a killer. Like, you are a healer. And not only that, like, you are, you can bring people back to life. To be fair, he didn't have the same information that we had gotten from Kylie and Raven about, like, how the hollow tongue only responds to certain true emotion. You know, like, I feel like. The hollow tongue is still a mystery in a lot of ways, but Bryson especially didn't have any context mm-hmm. for like, oh, this means it only responds when I'm trying to, or, you know, when my emotions are wanting to help and heal. Right. And he barely knew he could even speak it. Yeah. I mean, that was like an accident yeah. that happened to work. And then fed into, again, his delusions of grandeur and was like, he was like, oh, I've got the hollow mm-hmm. tongue. I'm set. This is great. I can do whatever I want yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. I'm still going to go kill somebody. Ugh. Not just anybody either. This like... Again, warrior who... <laughs> yeah, is killing everyone. No one's been able to get close to, yeah. <laughs> and what's so sad is Joan goes with him. Because he's just... He's basically like, you jump, I jump, Rose. And follows him right into camp. The other thing, though, I agree it's sad that he can't see what Joan sees. But it makes so much sense with his character mm-hmm. and everything he's been through. And all the, like, pain and suffering and hurt he's endured all of his life and this kind of narrative he's been telling himself like I get why it's so hard for him to to hear that or see that otherwise I'd be even more frustrated but like I totally buy that that it takes him a while to come around to that (laughs) I agree and it also just sets up nice tension for him and Joan like Mm -hmm. it would be boring if their relationship was just like perfect la di da we're on the same page about everything like there is some tension with that relationship where Joan doesn't necessarily agree with what Bryson's doing, but he follows him out of love. Mm -hmm. And I like the training montage we got. I love training montages. (laughs) And this clarified a lot for me because in the first book, we had learned about the Kartami kite warriors, but I didn't really know what that meant. Mm -hmm. And then we see them training and it's, it sounds, okay, it sounds super cool. I can't envision it in my mind in a way that doesn't look hokey to me. I also still have, like, questions about these different religions a little bit because part of me feels like by, like, I get that they're not using birds and they're kind of competing against birds so they need to go into the sky maybe, but it sort of feels like they're like, oh, we want to free the sky of birds, but we also, like, admire them enough to kind of mimic what they can do and fly. That's a good point. It felt like almost like an admiring birds thing to me to, to, like, try to do what they can do and humans can't and like fly up there but it also kind of made sense because of who they're competing against and whatnot but that's a good point though because the the way they fight it basically they fight in pairs we know that but it basically turns them into a falcon and a falconer Mm -hmm. but just with people like one is on the ground kind of controlling and the other one is flying and fighting so yeah that's that is a good point and Bryson I think talked about it a little bit in terms of like part of what was appealing about falconry is this site like there was almost this envy for the bird that can fly like you are so connected to your falcon and like mm-hmm. being able to be the one up in the air I don't know I feel like it was so appealing to him in part because of his connection to Shara and other birds 
I don't know. Yeah. But I agree. I thought it was pretty cool, but I can't really picture it very well either. I think if I had to pick any scene from this book that I would like to see made into a movie, it would be the Kite Warriors. Something with the Kite Warriors, because... I think it could look really badass, but in my mind, I'm just imagining, like, a guy strapped to a kite, like, wee, like, flying around, and, and I can't, like, envision it in a way that doesn't look silly. Yeah, I think it could. But it could look really cool, I think. I also, yeah, the pair idea is so interesting, too, and they talk about it a lot in this book, and even with, like, you were saying, the falcon, fa- like, relationships are such a big part of this book, but to your earlier point, I mean, we do have a couple romantic ones, but I feel like they they play out well, but um, yeah. it's a lot of siblings and parents and friendship and, and bird and human and animal yeah yep love takes many different forms and i love um I'm, I'm just really excited to learn more about the hollow tongue i think i think one reason i like this book so much is because i always i i've already felt that language is so powerful and i've always kind of been mm-hmm. drawn to that idea of how language can be used to just do so many things and I think the idea of the hollow tongue is really powerful too because they say in the book it's a it's like a combination of the word the truth and then your intention and like that combination is what allows you to speak and form Mm -hmm. this connection with your bird and at one point uh I think it was when Kylie was grappling with the idea that she would be commanding these birds in the army um there was like a moment where they basically compare it to like they're their translators so the commander in the battle is going to be commanding kylie and kylie has to translate his desires Mm -hmm. into a word that the bird can understand and then execute and i just love that idea between like she has to she's a translator essentially she has to translate the intention of her commander in in a way that the bird can understand and carry out to fulfill the commander's wishes it's like such an interesting position of being like an interpreter and a soldier at the same time Mm -hmm. no it is really cool and i i love how we get this kind of fantasy magical element with the hollow tongue but it also is very contained like it's not like everyone can do I don't know. I feel like sometimes magic can be a crutch for stories or it ends up being almost too powerful or like takes over the story. An easy out or something. And like, yeah, I I like that we have this kind of supernatural, you know, like the hollow tongue is not something in our world, but it still, for the most part, we're dealing with humans and human things. And like, there's a couple people who can speak this language they don't even fully understand that has some control or influence over Burke. Like, it's nice that it's something, but it's not like, I don't know. I just like that balance of it's still being kind of a mystery and not being I just wish for something and it happens or like I can make it I can control all of the elements or all of the things or whatever I agree this is my kind of magic we've read so many books too Mm -hmm. in the past that have been so magic heavy I think lately like this was such a breath of fresh air for me because like this is the exact amount of magic that I want in my ideal books well, it also just allows you to really dive into the map. Like, we can understand the hollow tongue more in part and, like, get some of the nuances because it's the only magic that's happening. We don't have to, like, explain, like, oh, this person can do X, exactly. this person can do Y, this person can do Z. So, yeah. Yep. And it's believable, too, because it's, like, also they're birds and mm-hmm. they're wild animals and they're going to do whatever they want. Like, it's not like they're really bound yep. by the rules either. Like, 
I think just that natural element is helpful. But okay, let's finish up with Bryson because Bryson has some really bad things happen to him and oof, it was kind of a lot. This kid cannot catch a break. <laughs> he again still has such a big heart, but also these like wild ambitions. So he does infiltrate the camp. He does start training. He's actually enjoying it. He's having fun. But he's He's still in the back of his mind, thinks his purpose is to kill Anon, and sneaks out planning to do that before he changes his mind, but a little bit too late, and basically things have already gone into motion that can't be taken back. Yeah, he tries to kill Anon, and then realizes he can't. Yeah, he like gets there, he has an opportunity, and then like things, but he decides not to. I mean, you know, like he... It's not just like, oh, the opportunity passed. Like he, with everything that Joanne had said and like other experiences, he does like, he makes the right decision. He just does it so late that he can't really save himself or anyone else. (laughs) Yeah. The timing was very bad. Um, And he has that moment too where he says like, this is really shitty because I'm content now. Like I'm accepting the fact that I'm a healer. I know I can bring birds to life. I can do something my sister can't. So I feel unique and I don't feel like I'm in my sister's shadow anymore. And I have this boy who I'm falling in love with who we just had a really nice moment. And I feel like, you know, he was excited about their future together. And then it really all goes downhill from there. And it's so sad. Mm -hmm. I thought that he was going to be a little irritated when Kylie came to rescue him. But I liked that he's kind of in that place where he he isn't feeling in her shadow anymore and he just, like, welcomes her. He's like, oh, I'm glad you're here. Like, we we all need your help. <laughs> and it was so good for both of them, I think, to figure out who they were without each other. There is still a lot of love there, but they really do each become their own person in this book in a way that they hadn't been able to before. Yeah. But they also haven't been able to succeed without each other. True. And I think what's really nice is that, I forget who said it at the end, or maybe it was just in the narration, but they said something like, in the end, love and anger alone, like by themselves, are not enough. And I feel like Bryson has really represented love throughout this whole Mm -hmm. book, and Kylie has represented anger. And they both have said that, like, alone, love Mm -hmm. and anger, it's not enough to, to just have one or the other. You have to have both in some ways. And so it's kind of, like poignant because now Kylie and Bryson are coming together and it's that combination of like love and anger yep it's like they had to become their own people and now they have to relearn how to be their own people but be better than two individuals right like instead of being like dependent on each other or like letting I don't know I sort of feel like their relationship before was limited by their bond and now I feel like because they've spent time apart their bond can help them like they're stronger yeah yeah, because you need anger to accomplish your goals, but you also need love to be for compassion and to like not completely go off the deep end. And like vice versa, I think Bryson has that love, but he needs that anger now to like follow through with what he needs to do. Um, so I'm excited to see them together. Yep. Ugh, I just, I really didn't like the end when Shara died. I didn't either. It was such a gruesome death, too. I I mean, a lot of these deaths, a lot of the bird deaths specifically have been described in such detail that they make me really squeamish. Yeah, I agree. How their bodies get liquefied and crushed. Crushed their heads. Yeah. Or he, like, pulled Shara's head off. I was Yeah, separated it from the body. Oof. That was just really hard to see because Bryson had such a 
an attachment to her. And he got his eye knifed out. That was also rough. That scene was horrific. Yeah. That, ooh, it was just like, it was very graphic. It was. And it wasn't, um, I don't know, I feel like some authors are a little, like, poetic about violence. And this was like, no, he stabbed his eye out, like, blood was rushing down. He, like, wet himself. Uh, He was screaming. It was, it was like, it was a lot. It was a lot. Which, I mean, I think it should be described that way because it is a lot. And I, like is the wrong word, but I found it interesting to see him dealing with his depth perception being off and like not seeing half of what he's used to seeing while dealing with all the chaos and like whatnot that came right after that scene because that's when like the war starts and the war eagles come and he's in the kite and like all this stuff is happening all at once and he just lost an eye so not only is it painful but he also like I don't know he's climbing up this rope into the sky while people are like throwing spears and hawks are flying at him and he just lost half his vision can't see (laughs) yeah and then and almost lost his other eye too that's when i was just like oh my gosh no i just think it was hard because we already know that bryson has been mutilated in other ways yes um and is like very traumatized by that and has dealt with the after effects of that and so just like for the fact that he's like now mutilated further is heartbreaking yeah it was heartbreaking because right before that he was kind of like I can deal with pain. I've done it before. I have these happy memories. Like, I'm not going to whatever. But then it's like having his eye taken out so brutally like that was obviously like if he had just been beaten or hurt some other way, I think he really could have compartmentalized it differently. Mm-hmm. And it's like this. Yeah. To your point, he's been through so much and he's even like made peace and like remained hopeful and like all this other stuff through all of this trauma he's already experienced and man he just can't catch a break anywhere i know and i know like they always say as a writer you need to test and torment your characters but like he's really been through a lot (laughs) i want the next book to be just like nothing but good things for him Uh, but i don't know if that'll happen because now we have a new enemy so oh this is great so Anon and the Ghost Eagle have this showdown, and we learn that Anon actually wanted Bryson, so he tried to kidnap Bryson to lure Kylie because he 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 doesn't want the Ghost Eagle to fight. Yeah. He wants to destroy the Ghost Eagle because he had this vision when he was younger that the Eagle is basically wants to annihilate mankind. Like the true name for the Eagle is like Apocalypse. So Anon is actually trying to save the world from this ghost eagle, which was, like, such an interesting twist, and I loved that. Yeah. Just the fact that, like, we thought he was the weapon, we thought the ghost eagle was, like, a weapon to be used, and instead it's, like, it's a weapon that wants to destroy the world. (laughs) Okay, this is, like, a very small detail, and it didn't exactly bother me, but I got really caught up in the detail where all of the Kartami have the wax in their ears so they can't hear the ghost seagulls cry. Mm-hmm. And the fact that no one who was hunting the ghost seagull all of these years had ever thought to do that. Mm-hmm. And that they were still, like, they didn't talk about signaling in the war. They still talked about, like, calling out instruction. Oh, yeah. And I was like, how are you calling things out if everyone has wax in their ear? But I also liked it at the same time because it was so clever and it seemed so obvious, but it just like made me mad that no one else had thought to do this before. <laughs> yeah. I'm really bad at picking up details like that, I think, because I get just lost in the story. Um, Usually I do too, but that one just bugged me for some reason. <laughs> 
I think I just love the idea that like everyone thought that like the people who speak the hollow tongue are the ones controlling the birds, but it's really the birds controlling the people. That was such a good twist. Mm-hmm. Their wills are the ones being bent, and I just love that twist of like who's really in control here. And it goes back to that like this magic is still contained but so mysterious, right? Because we also are just assuming that the hollow tongue is like equivalent to power like that yeah if you're the one who's able to speak it you are in control but it's like no it's all part of the plan honestly if we were just writing this book by itself i would give it a 10 out of 10 that's awesome i just thought it had the perfect balance of tension drama believable romance character development action things that i had never seen before in ya which is saying something considering Mm -hmm. how much we read um twists that I didn't see coming like I'm connected with most of the characters like I feel for them it's just stunning how the author was able to get everything right I feel yeah no it's a really really solid book and really unique to your point of you know there's not a lot of traditional tropes there's not Mm -mm. the world is very different the magic's very different the characters are very different just the concept there's a lot of good development there's a lot of good relationships there's also some just like really beautiful passages too like i wouldn't say it's necessarily lonnie taylor is like my gold standard for language but there were certain passages especially like even the beginning with like the murder versus assassin like certain things that i just thought were like really cool to dive into and the language is so intentional and often beautiful in terms of like how he sort of plays with ideas or phrasing and explores emotions that way and stuff yeah so many bird like meaningful bird metaphors like I don't I I didn't feel like it was too too heavy-handed but um like I think in the assassin scene he described the the bird that came down and killed him as like a scythe from the sky like a, I don't know how to say that word. Sith, Sith. I don't know what either. is it? You asked me to pronounce something. Yeah. <laughs> a Sith from the sky, a Sith from the sky, and I just thought that was like such a. It was a beautiful way to describe it. So I agree. Mm-hmm. And we got some humor too. Like Joan is still such a. I like how he's kind of this lighthearted. He's also had trauma, but especially compared to Bryson, who's who can be a little bit moody. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joan has such an he's got these like limericks and these like witty comebacks and this I feel like he's got this light happy energy even with Mm. all the heavy stuff going on and it's a nice that so many elements are done well and balanced out well and for how big the book is it's a quick read too because I think it sucks you in and it's not easy to read like an too easy to read but just like it yeah brings you into the story and you want to keep reading the one thing that I will say okay the one thing I didn't like and this is so nitpicky but I didn't like how the birds actually talked and like they don't talk they just make noises but I didn't like how the bird noises were um presented as dialogue does that make sense like Hmm. there'd be there'd be like a section where it was like Shara said and it's just like a series of letters that you're like okay I can figure out what she what sound she made or like when the ghost eagle speaks it's always and it's like written out like r-e-e-e-e-e-e-e exclamation point (laughs) and for some reason like every time I read that it sounds ridiculous in my head and it just kind of like took me out of it like I think I would have preferred it if he was just like the eagle screamed instead of like the eagle went (laughs) no I see what you're saying it didn't specifically bother me but I I can see what you're talking about (laughs) 
That's the only thing. Though. And again, if we're nitpicking <laughs> about things like that, then you know that we overall loved it. Oh so. my gosh, yeah. Did you uh, do some research this week? I did a little bit. I um, researched a little bit of falconry and in, in training raptors because there's so many words in this book that, and and I I think the way it's done is beautiful. Like the words around training falcons is just incorporated into the book without explanation and that's how it should be because everyone in the book is very familiar with these terms but I'm not so I did a little bit of research about training raptors so tell us how do we what do we need to know have you gone out and found a eagle to bring home yet (laughs) no because it's very it's a very complex arduous undertaking to train raptors so First of all, like there's many different strategies for how to train raptors, and it depends on the species. Do you have to have like a license or anything to to do that? Yes. So the keeping and training of any raptor is strictly and tightly regulated by the U.S. state and federal laws. So you must seek out a state and federal licensed falconer to, and they must sponsor you. So if you want, if you want to get into this, you have to have a sponsor who's licensed, and they will sponsor you through an apprenticeship program that lasts two years at a minimum and often considerably longer. Wow. Um, so here are some equipment that you might need to train a raptor. So you'll need a hood, and they mentioned that a little bit in the book, and I always wondered why falcons had hoods on them because it seemed cruel to, like, blind the bird. Aren't they, like, overstimulated or something? Mm-hmm. And they mentioned that very briefly in the book, but, yeah, it's essentially to, like, keep the bird in a calm state so that you can get it basically used to humans so it can um, get acclimated to humans in the human world. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said that, like, out of all the training equipment, the hood is, like, one of the most important pieces. So, like, if you don't have that, what happens? Well, I guess the first thing is that, like, raptors' eyes are really complex. So they have, like, very keen eyesight, and their eyes just are very different from ours. They're a lot bigger. They have a different rate at which light affects the eye. So they say that like humans process around 60 to 75 hertz, whereas peregrine falcons process around 129. Wow. So it is really useful for them for hunting. So like they are constantly aware of like what's going around them. So they're just, they have this very heightened prey instinct. So essentially the only way to like remove stimuli from the bird is to cover the eyes. And at that point, it can like relax and can be calm, and then it can focus on interacting with humans to like get used to them. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and then it like starts to recognize humans as like a positive force rather than like associating it with negative stimuli. And they don't keep the hood on all the time. It's just to like introduce it to the human and suppress potentially frightening stimuli. Okay. So then there's the Jess. And that's a thin strap that's usually made from leather, and they're attached to the bird's legs. And they basically allow the falconer to keep control of the bird, either while it's on your hand or when it's in training. Is it like a leash, or is it different? Is it? It's just... pretty much like a leash, but it's not. It's not meant to keep the bird from getting away. It's. It, they say it's to prevent the risk of the bird deciding to chase something it shouldn't. So, like, they, like I said, they have a really heightened prey drive, so it's basically to, like, prevent them from flying off and doing something that they shouldn't gotcha. or that you don't want them to do. Mm-hmm. But they always say, like, 
your bond with your falcon should be a better leash than the Jess, is what they say. Like, it sh- that should be what connects you to the bird, not a physical tether. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, gauntlets or gloves are used by the falconer to turn your arm into a perching surface. Um, for falconry, gloves may only cover the fist and wrist. Gauntlets for larger species extend to the elbow and... Um, all the way up to like a bird the size of an eagle, the gauntlet may cover your entire arm and or a, per- a portion of your chest. Wow. And is that just to like protect your skin or is that for the bird or both? Uh, I would think to like protect your skin and then give the bird like a good gripping surface. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm trying to think other words that they used. Oh, muse. They, they mentioned the muse. It's basically a birdhouse. <laughs> <laughs> it's like where you keep birds of prey. They're like partition spaces that keep tethered birds separated uh, with like a perch for each bird. And they can be like safely housed that way. So there's free loft muse. So that can allow captive raptors more freedom of motion. And this is kind of cool. The word muse comes from the French mur, which means to change, because often falconry birds were put in muse while they were molting. <laughs> So yeah, I don't know. I just learned a little bit about all the words that we've seen in this book because I think all of those words have come up at one point and I just didn't really know what they meant. So, I mean, but you can figure it out. Yeah, like the book does a good job of like, I wasn't completely lost when they said words like Jess and Muse and things like that. I like, I think they did, the author did a perfect job of incorporating all the lingo, um, but I just was curious to learn a little more. No, yeah, it's good to have the additional context. I wonder, did we already ask this? I wonder if he has any falconry experience, Alex London. He said that he trains with a falconer, like, extensively to get research for this. Like, him and his agent went out and, like, had many sessions. I feel like you'd have to. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So fun. I looked up man lifting kites. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, I'm so glad. It's just funny because (laughs) I saw, especially, like, some sketches from back in the day that are pretty funny and I don't think would help you take certain images seriously like if I if I saw one that I was like oh yeah this is like really BA like I'd direct you there but a lot of them are kind of funny but um man lifting kites was like a really cool idea back before powered flight became popular and then it sort of died off a little bit except for some like adventure sports so you know like parasailing and kite surfing and things like that have kind of stuck around but before airplanes were invented, it was kind of that that initial human solution for for different things. So they were used in ancient China for both civil and military purposes, and sometimes as a punishment. Oh my god, tell me more about that. I have a vision of just like sending prisoners hang gliding, and that can't be right. Um, it's kind of close to that. So It's in the Book of Sui, S-U-I, I I might be pronouncing that wrong, but there was this tyrant, this emperor, Win Zuan of Northern Qi. Again, I apologize if that is incorrect, but this is back in the 6th century China. And he'd execute prisoners essentially by making them jump off of a tower, but they were allowed to use a bamboo mat to fly. How big was the mat? I think it's like like a doormat, or maybe a little bit, but like not very big. So... It was almost always fatal, except there was this one recorded story of a prince who was able to fly 2.5 kilometers from the 33-meter-tall Golden Phoenix Tower to the Purple Way, and then he fell. So 
That's a long way to go. Yeah. Oh my god, that'd be so scary. And then Japan got introduced to the kite later in the 7th century AD. There's a story of a, a thief, Ishikawa Goman, who was said to have used a man-lifting kite to help him steal the golden scales from a pair of ornamental fish images on the top of this castle. Is this real life or a legend? I mean, I think it's supposedly real life, but who knows how much has been exaggerated. But but it's not like this guy, I think, really existed, this thief. Um, So his men helped maneuver his kite in the air with some kind of trapeze-like situation. And then he flew to the rooftop where he stole the scales and then was lowered and was able to escape. And so I guess at one time there was actually a law in Japan against the use of man-carrying kites in part because of this thief back in the day i'm shocked that there's actually like a history of this yeah i I didn't realize how far back it went either like um there's a little bit more modern development stories too so in in the 1820s this guy george pocock developed man lifting kites and he used his children as guinea pigs can you imagine like let's see if this thing works like come on junior Wow, he must have been very confident in his design, or he hated his children. <laughs> right? And then there's a ton of stories, especially between, like, the late 1800s and the early 1900s when the Wright brothers, like, finally got planes up of different types of kites. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them are like, there's all these different shapes that they use to try to help lift things, especially men, into the air. A lot of times for reconnaissance. Um, sometimes it really does just seem like it was for fun a little bit. And they, <laughs> they have some cool names like the Levator and stuff. But uh, let's see. Um, Captain B.F.S. Baden-Powell, who in the 1890s, and eventually he became the president of the Aeronautical Society of Great Britain, he had a kite that was supposed to be used in the army to lift a man so they could like observe from the sky or so you could lift heavy things like a wireless antenna. Um, and he used one of the kites to lift a man 50 feet off the ground in 1894 and eventually got pretty comfortable lifting people over 100 feet. Um, so they sent them to South Africa to use for the Boer War. But by the time they got there, it had already ended. Mm. So they actually weren't used in the war. But that was the intention. Alexander Graham Bell also developed his own kite. So his kite was more tetrahedral and it had these like different sticks that created, he called them cells, but like a honeycomb kind of triangular tetrahedral-like structure. Um, And they thought that this would help with the lift-to-weight ratio, which it did. He he made some progress, so he also dabbled in man-lifting kites. Uh, His team flew over water to reduce the risk to the aviator and machine, He said, if a man is able to swim and the machine to float upon water, little damage need be anticipated to either. So that was his, like, safety thing. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) I would never do that. It is funny because, like, now it is mostly, like, these kind of more extreme sports, like paragliding and, you know, parasailing and stuff. I don't think I would never do that either. (laughs) necessarily either. Um, Some guy crossed the English Channel in a boat drawn by a kite, and the war office thought that was cool and, like, looked into things more was he on the kite or was he on the boat that is a good question i thought he was on the kite but i'm not entirely <laughs> clear reading this sentence over again but this is about man lifting kites 
So that'd be cool if he was on a kite and he pulled a boat across the English Channel. But if he was just on a boat and like let a kite pull. <laughs> so in my head, I imagined it the cool way, but I'm not actually confident enough to say with any certainty <laughs> that it was the cool way. But yeah, basically, people were trying all different kinds of things, and then when we started to figure out true airplane like stuff, a lot of energy shifted over and it kind of fell by the wayside a little bit, but. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you should look up some of these pictures just because they're kind of interesting. Yeah. A lot of them are so big, too. Like It'd have to be, right? Yeah. Kite flying human is what I'm typing into Google right now. <laughs> no, that won't be right. Man lifting human, kite. Man that. lifting kite. Holy cannoli. And again, there's like all different, like some look like these like tiered like bat like structures some are really like i didn't realize they would be like multiple kites there's one that is like a man in like a bowler hat and a suit being like lifted into the air by these three kites on the beach why would you dress like that to be lifted by a kite yeah and some are like really structured like there's a lot of sticks involved and they're like very i don't it's just interesting yeah i was originally imagining just like a big kite like that a kid would bring to the park. No, they're very complex structures. That's yeah, interesting. They're they're way different. Wow. So very cool. Anyways, I thought that was kinda cool. Um and it helped me well, I don't know if it really helped me picture it, but I just thought the kite it, it kind of this book almost made me want to try something that I'd be actually terrified to do in real life. But uh it did sound so like freeing and magical to like be up in the air and controlling it a little bit and like Bryson made it sound fun <laughs> yeah he did well also just I got like, really stressed out that they didn't train him more and he was like I'm, I'm not paying attention and then he just like climbed up this yeah. rope and was like up there like doing stuff I was so stressed out for him but he did I, well <laughs> but he was in good hands too because I think yeah. the pairs aspect is important like all of the Kartami who train who train together and fight together are like bonded pairs so it was like True. um you know they had they trusted each other and the other pair was like a son and a mother so like I liked that idea that they you know there's this intense trust between them yeah and I again love that like love and can be just as strong in different types of relationships but it still felt a little bit like without more like ground practice you could really hurt yourself if you're the only one up in the air even if the person down below like yeah I trust (laughs) you a lot or I trust my but like if he hasn't been trained I still be nervous yeah yeah (laughs) I know he'd do everything he could for me, but how much can he do if he doesn't know what he's doing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But That's a good point. I also liked that Bryson never got good at aiming <laughs> the spears. Again, like when someone's just like magically good at everything, it's kind of frustrating sometimes. Yeah. But I like that he learned some things and picked up some things, and it was only a few days. But um, yeah, could, what did they say? You couldn't hit the ground if you were trying? <laughs> too was believable because he wasn't like a warrior trained he was just like you know and it fit into this idea that yeah he wasn't meant for destruction he Mm -hmm. was meant for healing or or whatever yeah but we're getting kind of late do we want to um move on to the next book yeah i was so excited when i remembered there was a third book yeah because we've, we've read so many duologies and we haven't read a trilogy in a while i feel so I yeah. and I'm loving this series so far, like really, really liking it. So I was super pumped when there was a third book. Do you want to read a little bit about the third book, which is Gold Wings Rising? Okay. The war on the ground has ended. The war in the sky has just begun. Mm-hmm. After they broke the siege of the six villages at Kylie's command, the ghost eagles have begun a new siege against all of humanity. 
The villagers and their former Kartami foes huddle together beneath makeshift netting of what was once the six villages, while the Sky Castle shuts itself in, terrified by the attacks from above. Kylie and Bryson are also plagued by the ghost eagle's nightly screeching, though their dark dreams appear to be messages from the birds themselves. <laughs> Sorry, do you want me to do that for you? Really? <laughs> Kylie uses the dreams to uncover the birds' weaknesses. Killing them all is the only way to break their cycle of endless terror. But Bryson's heart yearns to heal the world's wounds once and for all, no matter the cost. When the siblings uncover a mysterious egg, they'll have to bear their darkest selves to piece together the ghost eagle's visions and find the way forward. In the final installment of the Skybound saga, Alex London cuts to the core of generational trauma and the power to be found in speaking painful truths. Wow. This is going to be so good. Okay, wait, I forgot about (laughs) my one question, though. So at the very end of the second book, we had the whole... So, like, Bryson brought back to life the ghost eagle that had died, right? Yes, because the ghost eagle and Anon kill each other at the same time. But then... And then he saves the ghost eagle, yeah. His... So he only has one eye left, but his eye looked black, and the ghost eagle's eyes had, like, the blue that the twins have. And... There was that smoke thing. Yeah, the ghost eagle, like, spoke through I don't him. know. I just, I, I'm curious. I hope things don't get too weird for me now. Oh, that's a good point. Because the ghost eagle, like, was speaking through Bryson at the end. And I think, I don't know if it was the ghost eagle or if it was Bryson, but some of them called all the birds to the sky. Like, that whole flock of ghost eagles came. Yeah. For a minute, I thought Bryson like quote unquote died and like was reborn as the ghost eagle but he's still alive right i hope so yeah it sounds like i it. think so yeah okay but just for a second i was like oh the bird has his eyes because he's actually the ghost eagle now and we were hearing his voice when we were hearing the other ghost eagles but then he stood up too so i think he's alive but there's some weird bond connection thing because he brought that ghost eagle to life i think yes it was very much like um an Independence Day scene where, like, the alien is speaking through the guy where he's like, what do you want? And the eagle's like, we defy you and we will tame you all. <laughs> and then I'm so curious why they needed Kylie, like, to call, like, if they wanted to kill all the people, why didn't they just come down from the mountain and do it? I hope we get more clarity. I, I, I think we're going to find out more in book three, even just based on that description, but it feels like they were manipulating... Kylie. Who's they? The, the ghost eagles as a community, as a group. Oh, oh, okay. It feels like they were manipulating Kylie to call them forth so that they could destroy all mankind. But I'm kind of like, why did they need Kylie to call them if, like, why couldn't they just come down and kill everybody? I think they could have. I think, I think what they were doing was the eagles were trying to get, they were trying to manipulate everyone to coming together so they could kill them easily. Like, they needed both armies ah. to come together so that they could attack. And I think we're going to get, more, like, I think we're not supposed to know everything yet. So I'm hoping we just get more of the story. It sounds like they're going to be dreams that we're interpreting and, like, we'll get more of the mm-hmm. history. Because there's this generational thing that, like, the ghost eagles can remember farther back in time than humans can or whatever. So hopefully we'll get more of the why they want this. Yeah. Why Why do they want the annihilation of mankind? Very good question. Cool. Okay. Let's, let's get to reading. Then we can talk about it. <laughs> I know. I'm excited. Okay, um, I think it's my turn to tell a joke. Yes. Okay. All right, why can't a nose be 12 inches long? I don't know. Because then it would be a foot. (laughs) (laughs) So stupid. Oh, man, I love it. That's a total dad joke. Yes, it is. Perfect. If anyone wants to get in touch with us, 
You can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at mnktalkya. And we want to hear if you've been in a man-lifting kite or woman-lifting kite and or have a falconry license. (laughs) Yeah, let us know how difficult it is. I feel like it'd be very difficult. I've barely trained my dog. (laughs) I have not even trained my dog, either one. Let's just assume (laughs) they don't know anything. Um, It would be a really, like, incredible thing to do just to like I bet it's heavy don't you think it's heavy having that bird on your arm I bet it's massive. I feel like it would be incredible just to watch like I don't even need to learn yeah. to train because I probably don't have the patience or skill for it but like to be around someone who's doing that and like watching that bond and I don't know I think that would be impressive on its own even without me being a part of it I do I didn't go to this wedding but one of my high school friends he um, got married in the same day as me and he had a falcon in his wedding and I totally forgot about this that's so cool they did something with like the rings so when it was time to give the rings the like best man acted like he forgot the ring and then the my friend like the groom he held up his arm and then this freaking falcon flew and landed on his arm and the falcon had the rings I totally forgot about that what? Yeah. That's amazing. So wait, was he already into falconry no or did idea. he just learn this for the wedding? I have no you idea. You need to do some follow-up. I want. I have a lot of questions. I'm hoping he trained a little bit in advance because I would be terrified to have a bird fly onto my arm anytime, regardless of whether or not I was getting married at the same time. I feel like he must have done some training, but I'm curious if it was like me learning to yeah. dance for my wedding to this one song beforehand or if it was like I've been a ballroom dancer for the last 10 years so this is my chance to shine I don't you know, know. like there's a difference yeah big difference <laughs> <laughs> all right let's read this last book bye bookworms go get a library card M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.